This time on episode 450 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we discuss the 2022 film Morbius and weekly Marvel news, including the Russo brothers answering an important question, Hugh Jackman promising a grumpy Wolverine for Deadpool 3, and Agatha Covenor Chaos casting news. I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Consultant Susanna. And I'm the producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Marvel Comic Book universes as told on screen by a company that's made do with what it's got, Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, November 5th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast from the Hall of... MSTK 3000 wide, come and join our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because it's Morbin time. If you'd like to talk to us about Morbin time, you can visit our website at ledsersofshield.com. If you would like to leave us a voicemail with your take on the line, which by default will be better than the one in the movie, the number for, to do that is 844-843-2871, which conveniently spells out 844-THE-BUS-1. If you'd like to tell us all of your takes about this, you can check us out on Facebook at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. We're on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you would like to make some videos of the scene that you can make better yourself, make sure to tag us on YouTube at Gunnicky. You can join our Discord server and watch everyone's reactions there at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network and apologizes for the following content. (laughs) (laughs) We are joined today by Keeper Susanna. Susanna is an author and a keeper on her own role-playing podcast called Thornvale. Welcome to the show, Susanna. Hey, how's it going? Good. Now, one, you're basically a writer, so you know how things work in terms of story and stuff like that. And two, you were the one that wanted to do Morbius. So we're doing this because of you. I'm sorry. (laughs) We have a very clear policy of shifting blame to our guests on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. I will accept that. Okay. So we got a lot of fun things to say. Needless to say, none of us really wanted to watch Morbius, except for Susanna and for obvious reasons. So 
For our 450th episode, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to rag on a movie that is Marvel-based. And that's what we're going to do. I'm just telling our listeners in a, ahead of time, Morbius is, this is not going to be our normal discussion. We're going to rip this one apart. So, yeah. are y'all ready? I'm stoked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. All right. Here we go. Morbius premiered on April 1st, 2022, and sadly, it was not an April Fool's joke. The IMDb description reads, biochemist Michael Morbius tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but he inadvertently infects himself with a form of vampirism instead. Michelle, who directed this mess? This mess was directed by Daniel Espinoza, who has 12 directing credits starting in 2003. A whole bunch of stuff I haven't heard of. Sorry, Daniel. Including Outside Love, Safe House, Child 44, Life, and this mess, Morbius. All right. Hey, Lauren, somebody was in charge of writing this and getting some SAG or whatever they call it in the Writers Guild credit for it, I think. So who was it? Oh, God. Okay. So when I looked this up yesterday, I was like, oh, yeah, now it makes sense. First off, we have Matt Suzama, who has seven writing credits since 2014, including Dracula Untold, The Last Witch Hunter, Gods of Egypt, the 2018 Power Rangers movie, which I did actually like, some episodes of Lost in Space, the TV series, of course, this, and the upcoming Madam Web. Oh. It was also co-written. Well, I guess... These two are both writing partners because they have all of the same credits. Again, Bert Sharpless with seven writing credits starting in 2014, including Dracula Untold, Last Witch Hunter, Gods of Egypt, Lost in Space, Power Rangers, Morbius, Madam Web. This has basically taken the wind out of the sails of any excitement I had about Madam Web. Well, the Lost in Space series was pretty good. I don't I have no idea which episodes they wrote for Lost in Space, but I did enjoy the Netflix series Lost in Space. And don't th- I've got a couple of episodes left in season three. It was canceled after three seasons, but it was good. It was a good way to go, in my opinion. I'll give them half a kudo for that, but I am not looking forward to Madam Web after watching this. If this is any indication, I do not want Ghost Spider anywhere near Madam Web. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. There you go. And that's saying something because Chris tries to throw Gwen into everything. It's true. All right. So what are we actually talking about? We have an exclusive here. I, I, I almost threw up in my mouth a little bit saying that on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We do a synopsis every time so we don't have to keep on going into the who's it's what happened when that sort of thing. And so we have one for this as well. So. Stay with us and we'll get through it. And I will start off. We started Costa Rica. Morbius takes a crew to a cave full of vampire bats. The crew warns that they shouldn't be there when it gets dark. Morbius has a trap set. Morbius isn't that great of a doctor. How do we know this? To lure the bats into his trap, he cuts the palm of his hand. And even moderately talented doctors know not to cut the palm of your hand. Flashback to 25 years ago. Young Morbius is in a hospital in Greece. Morbius is a crap friend. How do we know this? 
he immediately calls Lucien Milo, and the name sticks. Both have a rare blood disease. Dr. Emil Nicholas notices Michael's talent, so sends him to a school for gifted students. Oh, gee, I wonder what they're referencing. Milo gets beaten by the local school kids when he goes outside to retrieve Morbius's letter. In the present, Morbius is an ungrateful git. How do we know this? He turns down the noble, I mean, Nobel Prize. He invented artificial blood, which he sees as a failed experiment, even though his discovery has saved hundreds of thousands of lives. At the lab, Martine figures out Morbius is trying to splice human DNA with vampire bat DNA. After trial and error, Morbius finally gets a stable compound. Morbius informs his benefactor, Milo. How did Milo get rich? Who knows? Who cares? Adult Milo is played by Matt Smith, and that is what matters. Milo agrees to fund Morbius's illegal and unethical experiment that must happen in international waters. Of course the experiment goes wrong. How do we know this? If it doesn't, then we don't have a movie. Instead of a gradual change seen in many superhero movies, Morbius gets all the powers. Wait, vampire bats can't teleport or move like the wind. Oh, who cares? <laughs> Morbius needs blood stat, so he slaughters the crew. Afterwards, he feels bad, so he calls for help and swims away. The cure isn't permanent. Morbius has the urge to consume blood. He starts with artificial blood, but of course that's not going to last. How do we know this? Well, this is a movie, so we need some sort of dilemma. Morbius develops echolocation, even though that's not how echolocation works. Milo discovers Morbius' discovery and wants it. Milo wants it. The precious. They argue. Milo leaves. The police are hot on Morbius' trail. A nurse gets killed at the lab. Morbius tries to run, but gets caught. During questioning, we learn that we don't want to see Morbius when he gets hangry. Milo comes to visit and wants to get Morbius out. We're not surprised Milo took the serum because we have brains. How do we know that Milo is a different type of vampire? Milo's played by Matt Smith, and you don't catch Matt Smith unless you want a charismatic villain who looks good dancing shirtless. The police look for Morbius. Milo looks for Morbius. Morbius looks for Milo. Milo injures Nicholas to warn Morbius, and Nicholas does, dying in the process. Milo has some fun and then visits Martine. Martine takes her cat and goes to help Morbius. Morbius develops a way to neutralize Milo and himself. Morbius doesn't want to consume human blood. Again. Morbius surfs the wind and finds a dying Martine. She wants her death to mean something, so she makes sure to bite Morbius's lip to get some of that good stuff. Morbius drinks the blood, and we finally get what we've been waiting for. The fight between Milo and Morbius. How do we know that the bats are going to come help Morbius? Morbius is their bro, man, and bros help bros. What is surprising is the Morbius uses the bats to do a Hadoukun finish on Milo. Morbius injects Milo, and Milo dies. Does Morbius inject himself? No. Why? The studio wants... No, the studio yet needs a sequel. Morbius flees when the cops arrive, and the movie ends. No, wait. Martine wakes up. Morbius flies away with the bats, and then the movie... Oh, wait. There's a rift in the sky, and Adrian Toomes appears in a prison cell, and... 
Oh, wait, there's more. Toom gets released because reasons than the movie. Oh, wait, Morbius drives to a remote location and in comes the vulture. Toom's name drops Spider-Man and thinks they should form a team. And then the movie, wait, wait, yes, the movie finally ends. <laughs> I was so glad when the Netflix thing went small on my computer screen. And, you know, like, okay, we're finally done because there's never anything when the window gets small and you go to the broader thing of, hey, what do you want to watch next? Yeah, okay, there's Morbius for you. That's what happened in the movie. We're going to talk about first thoughts. Lauren, we'll start with you. Okay, everything about genetics and bats was wrong in this movie, which I expected. But the thing is, I like bad movies. Y'all heard the Howard the Duck episode. But watching this, this wasn't entertaining bad. This was just... Oh, I'm not watching this again alone or sober. I bet I could go write a movie. And this has given me the confidence to do it. Knowing this was bad going in made it moderately fun to watch, especially at 1.5 speed. Look, it had an amazing cast. It had pretty special effects. But Tom Holland wouldn't have survived this movie. This movie is frustrating because... I didn't know it was going to be bad going in. And you watched it in the theaters in April? I did. Or? Yeah. All right. We're sorry. Yeah, it's fine. I got to eat some good popcorn. <laughs> so we're going to start with basically plot and script. What was wrong? What could have been made better? So Susanna, you're the expert here. You go for it. Okay. To, to kind of give my credentials or whatever, I was a screenwriting major in college. Specifically, I was a transmedia writing major. And transmedia writing is what Marvel does. They do the, the same, different stories in the same universe across different platforms. So movies, comic books, television shows, all in the same universe, telling bits and pieces of different stories, but all across different types of platforms. So... That's where I come from, like, writing-wise. This movie is super frustrating because I came out of the movie thinking, like, man, that was almost a good movie, basically. And then I ranted to my husband for, like, two hours about everything that was wrong with it. <laughs> Starting with, as, as you guys mentioned, like, genetics is wrong, but, like, the very first scene that kind of started to bug me was the scene with the bats right so like he goes there to the bats and i'm like oh what are these are these gonna be spooky but no they're bats they're just bats Th there's nothing special about bats like like i don't understand like they go to the scene this first scene where they're going on this, this like helicopter or whatever and they land and they're like going to the bats and like the locals are like yeah these are scary bats i don't know and and morbius is like i don't think they're scary bats or whatever but like there was like nothing that happened in this scene that I'm just like, what is with the bats? Like, we don't understand what's going on here. This scene would have been so easy to fix because it bugged me the entire movie. Because like, I don't understand how he got like superpowers from bats because they're not special bats. If you want to say they're irradiated bats, if they're like, if they're some kind of, there's like some, all you needed was a very simple scene with like the locals saying like yeah there's like a legend about these bats they're like magic bats 
and Morbius, who's Mr. Science Man, going like, I don't believe in your legend about bats. And then all the rest of the movie makes a lot more sense, because if they're magic special bats, I could accept magic special bats. I have no problem with magic special bats. I have no problem with radiated bats. Like, if you want to say the bats have been smacked with some kind of cosmic radiation, it's basically magic in, in Marvel speak. I'm fine with that. But it frustrated me so much. I'm just sitting here like, they're just vampire bats. Like, I've seen vampire bats. Like, they're not that interesting. They're not that scary. The idea of a cute little bat that drinks her blood is kind of uncomfortable. But, like, they don't attack people. Like, I know what a vampire bat is. They're not scary. Why is this particular, in this stupid scene of the bats, like, rushing at the force field wall or whatever he had there, I'm just like, what is this for? Like, we're establishing he has an interest in bats. But not that the bats are any particularly interesting. Why do you need these bats? It's not established at all. This opening scene does stink, in my opinion, of a studio note, where the studio comes in and says, we need you to have Morbius with bats to start out with. And this is the scene that this studio, okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but it just stinks as a studio note of we need an intro scene. Can I talk about the bats? Go for it. Okay. In another life, I actually was a lab tech in a genetics lab. Oh. Trust me when I say everything about genetics engineering here is wrong. I'll get into it. But the bats, I love bats. They're just, I love them. I used to live in Austin, which had the bat bridge. When I lived in my hometown, there was a bunch of bats that roosted in an auditorium, and I begged my mom to take me and my sister out there to watch them swarm. And the worst thing that happened was like one got caught in my sister's hair. (laughs) I mean, you do have to watch out for rabies. That is honestly the scariest thing about bats is that because they do tend to live very crowded, rabies can go very fast with them, which is why if you see a bat on the ground, do not touch it much as I love bats, I also do not want to get rabies, but vampire bats specifically. So there's actually three particular species of bat that are exclusively blood feeders. They don't even bother to mention, again, if these were magic bats, way less of a problem. Yeah. Vampire bats don't swarm cattle and rip them apart like piranhas which don't actually rip animals apart either what they do is they sneak up on like sleeping chickens and cattle and make a teeny tiny little cut and drink about two tablespoons of blood per night that's again not per animal per night and then they go back to hiding because bats are small and shy and well there's the big ones the flying foxes but these vampire bats are about this big and they're very small and very shy and i think very cute also that i saw chris refer to it as a tornado chamber in the notes that is like the worst environment for bats i mean they're constantly they're never calm there's no place for them to roost They're constantly flying, which means they're probably very stressed. And there's no place for them to hide. Again, bats need to hide. It's what they do. All right. So that's bats, Susanna. What else you got? So that was just like the very start of my big problem with this is that there are a lot of things 
in this movie that don't go explained. And it's really annoying. Because it started with the bats. All you need is just a little scene. A little scene that says, these are special bats. I don't care. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be anything. I particularly think the idea of it being like a local legend about these special bats. And we don't even need to have a real good explanation for what it is. It just has to be something. But there's no explanation. And then we go straight from that to like the scene where where Michael as a small child like fixes his buddy's little medical machine with like a paperclip or whatever. Or a pen. I think it was a pen. It's just like, what did he even do? Like, I don't understand like what he did here. Oh, he connected metal to metal with metal. I don't have to understand, I guess, but like, I don't know. It just, it looked fake to me. (laughs) I'm not a medical person, but. He made a superhero suit of armor with a box of scrap in a cave. That's what he, oh, wait, wrong movie. Sorry. But yeah, like that scene was kind of silly. And how does him fixing a, a thing with some scrap mean that he's like a special smart boy? Okay, so what I had thought happened was that it was just like, yeah, the alarm wasn't working, whatever, so he completed the circuit or something. But what I think that machine was supposed to be was like a pump to do the dialysis. And it's ridiculous to me that there would not be like somebody there during the dialysis if they know these things are finicky and why are they in greece okay i do have an answer to that it's because in the comics morbius is greek oh there's a lot of stuff okay so when i say i love bad movies i love bad movies later this afternoon i'm probably going to be group watching some with some online friends I listened to a bunch of bad movie podcasts. In fact, I fell asleep listening to one of their Morbius episodes, their episode of Morbius last night. I was going to say one of their Morbius episodes. They did more than one. Oh, God. Um, Oh, boy. And the thing is, there's like, okay, this is a reference to this thing. But the thing is, I think we've talked about this when it comes to making references and stuff. You want a reference to be kind of a wink to the fans who know about it, but not be like plot relevant because that is a huge bar to new viewers. This movie did all the things we hate with references, all the things I know I hate with references. Yeah, there's some funny stuff in there, like, you know, the Murnau being the name of the ship, which Murnau was the director who did Nosferatu back in like the twenties. That's a funny little nod. Yeah. See, there's stuff like that, but it seems like there was stuff that was either cut or that they just threw it in just to be in there. Like Tyrese's character is supposed to have a robot arm in the comics. And it's very clear when they're talking about it, they're like, this is the guy that saved my arm because originally he did not say arm. He said ass, but Again, it's like this has no bearing on the plot. And if they wanted to tie it into a future thing, then let's do show, not tell. Just be like, yeah, this guy saved my arm later in the movie. He's like massaging out his metal winter soldier arm. Just something. Sure. Anything. Getting the Misty Knight Winter Soldier Arm Club. Mm-hmm. 
Real quick, can we talk about like the trailers for these movies? Because I saw the trailers for this movie and I thought it looked awesome. I thought it looked really cool. I liked what it looked like. And I was really intrigued by all the little nods that they put into both the Homecoming Spider-Man and the, the connection with... Venom? Venom, yes. And then none of it was in the movie. Yeah. And, like, I'm okay with, like, Marvel kind of lying with their trailers, you know, when they, like, say the scene from the Infinity War trailer where Cap is, like, wrestling with Thanos and you can't see all of that Thanos has all the Infinity Stones. Because that was not obvious, you know, like, that he was going to have all of them. I thought Infinity War was going to be he gets half of them and then Endgame he gets the other half. But, like, no, he got all of them in one movie. But, like, you don't see that. I'm fine with little lies like that. I'm kind of not okay with implying that there's going to be content in a movie that there's not. And the fact that they didn't decide to add any of this stuff into the movie that I thought was the mo- more interesting part is I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I wonder how they're going to have be like connecting this to the different universes. Because like I said, I'm a transmedia writing major. I like to see how things connect to different things. And then there was nothing. And I was so frustrated with it. It barely connects at all, if anything. Yeah. They mentioned the thing in San Francisco. That's Venom, right? Yeah, I think so. Why? Even in the movie, there's a line where he says, I'm Venom. And in the trailer, he's like, no, not really. I'm Dr. Michael Morbius. But, like, seriously, half of the stuff that was in the trailer was not in the movie. Yeah. I saw that and was like, what is going on here? And... As far as the movie, this being a Marvel movie, let's get this out right now. I went after I finished the movie, I went back to the front of the movie. Unlike the other Sony movies, especially the Sony Spider-Man movies, there is not the current Marvel pre-roll. It's like a subdued pre-roll. It doesn't flip through comics or anything like that. And instead of like saying Marvel Studios, it says in association with Marvel. It does. So this has nothing to do with marvel studios kevin feige or marvel and i know what sony's trying to do they're trying to set up their own little pocket their spider-verse basically of the marvel cinematic universe and it's just not working for them it's not working for them because they don't have the same writers room they don't have the same executive team over it they don't have the same toys to play with and stuff like that so yeah of course it's going to be different and Let's be honest, nobody has done what Marvel Studios has been able to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. DC tried and failed. Failed hard, hard. I would argue. There's a couple of good movies in there, but like Shazam, I've heard that the people that have gone to see James Gunn's The Suicide Squad really enjoy that. I refuse to see that after seeing the first Suicide Squad. It's completely different, do it. Yeah, completely different. I highly recommend it. It's, It's great. As somebody who enjoyed the first Suicide Squad movie, because I am very easy to please when it comes to, like, movies, I knew it was a bad movie. I knew it was bad, but I was entertained by it, at least. And amused by the stupid sky laser. (laughs) My point is that nobody's been able to do what Kevin Feige's been able to do. Yes. And I don't know if anybody will be able to do that in the future. That's something that we'll talk about at the end of the podcast in the news section. But... The point is, Sony's not pulling this one off. They're not pulling this one off because they're not pulling the string properly throughout everything. They're trying. They're trying to f- copy the formula that Marvel Studios has, and it's just not working. 
it's also not working because this is a bad movie because it's just that this is not the way things work. There's no proper science or at least pseudoscience going on. The scenes aren't done right. The nods aren't done right. It's like, okay, it's a pretty movie. I will admit the special effects are pretty cool in this, but there's special effects and like, what are we actually watching? I'm watching the echolocation scenes going, this is not how Marvel does it with Daredevil, or at least the Netflix Daredevil. And I assume yeah. since Disney Plus has picked it up, probably the Daredevil of the future. And they're living in the same universe, supposedly. So you've got Daredevil, you got Spider-Man, you got Morbius here. It's like, I'm not seeing the common thread. I mean, if you got a thread, you got to pull it. Yeah. So I think what Sony is trying to do is they're trying to do a lot more like, oh, tonally how it was for a while in like the early 2010s where, oh, we're going to do this dark and serious. The thing is, the movie there that has worked for them is Venom. And the reason that worked was because it really, especially Tom Hardy, leaned into its own camp. Yeah, there was none of that here. The closest that we had to that was Matt Smith. But everyone yes. else in the movie was playing it just like a hundred percent straight which this is not the kind of movie where you do that i thought matt smith was the only one who understood the assignment like, i think he was the only one who realized what movie he was in and was determined to have a good time with it arguably matt smith's acting with doctor who is very much leaning into its own camp he's had experience with it in the past yeah. so he just brought that experience forward and yes i realized completely different characters but at least he had the basis to do his role. And by the way, I had no idea he was that stacked. The dude works out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He must have been getting into a Game of Thrones shape. God, I wish my spinal injections make me buff. All they do is yeah, make man. me like sore. Oh, <laughs> speaking of which. So we saw like, okay, you have to go out on international waters. We're going to inject this into your spine. By the way, no fluoroscopy or x-ray or anything we're just gonna jam a needle in there and hope yeah. it doesn't paralyze you <laughs> i have had a number of spinal injections you need a guide and anyway matt smith i'm getting the feeling like he just drank it which is not how gene therapy works uh, this not, none of the science in this movie makes any sense and I was, I was a biology nerd, like, in high school. I was almost, I decided between being a biology nerd and deciding to be a writer in college. And I didn't want to do math, so I became a writer. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I was just watching this, and I was so frustrated by, like, I don't need a lot, okay? Like, I don't need much. You know, if you say it's magic, I'll believe it's magic. You know, like, I really don't need a lot of description for how this works. Like, I have seen every stupid Spider-Man depiction of how he gets bitten by a stupid spider, and I have never questioned it. But they tried to, like, put in this, like, sort of, like, kind of science into this movie, and every time they tried to, like, do anything, they didn't explain certain things that I thought they should explain. Like, I would have been interested in knowing, like, why any of this happened. Like, if you're going to have a character that is a scientist, right? And you're not going with magic radiation for the cause of why this is happening. Can we get some explanation? You know, like, why is this happening? Like, 
What about bats made this happen? Because I don't understand how you got superpowers from being a bat. Like, if, if you're going to say, like, going, like, man-bat, you know, like, that way, he turns into, like, a bat-like creature, I can kind of accept that. It's still stupid, but I can accept it, right? But why does he get superpowers? Why does he get super hearing? Like, he already did all of his growing. I understand, maybe I understand the stupid blood. You have to drink blood now, because you took blood from a vampire bat. Whatever, it's dumb, but it's whatever, but... Why does he get superpowers? What is with his weird ears? I don't understand the ears. That's not explained. I thought the ears were just him starting to transform into a bat. So, like, you know, he he can control himself well enough to transform just his ears so he can hear better, but not really much of anything else. And yeah. I, I don't know. So... I've talked before about how terrible all the science is in like any comic book movie. It's like we were talking about the law not being consistent or accurate or anything like that with She-Hulk. But I feel like, and Anthony, if you're listening, confirm, deny, whatever. I feel like the issue was there's a point at which it's so egregious that just professionally, Your brain is, you know, whatever brain, science brain, law brain, whatever, gets turned on in indignance and then just can't do that, the leap of incredulity, whatever it's called when you just kind of overlook a thing like, okay, we're going to accept the science is bad because otherwise we don't get powers. Suspension of disbelief. That's the word. Thank you. And with this, it was just... The fact that it was taking itself so seriously while literally every plot point hinged on something that is not a thing. Yeah. Anthony, I'm very sorry for making light of your frustration with She-Hulk's Law. This is the (laughs) angriest I've been about science in a movie for a very long time. You know, it really did it for me, you know, like, because throughout the entire movie, I was kind of just like, why does he do this? Like, I don't understand what's going on. Why is he getting these superpowers? I expected them to explain it at some point. Like, I thought they were going to go like, oh, these were magic bats. Like, something like that. I don't know. But, like, the thing that really bugged me more than anything else was when he started flying. For what reason? For what reason? And why does he have all those weird special effects around him? Okay, I do have an answer to that. Apparently, the director was very inspired by Pokemon. What? I'm not a Pokemon fan. Maybe my husband could explain that to me. Uh, Full Psyduck face. I guess in, I haven't played some of the more recent games. The last one I played was Black and White. But he was like, oh yeah, how their their powers are like color-coded and stuff like that. But people who've played Pokemon more recently than I have, please let me know if there's weird smoke trails of color. Uh, But yes, it is Pokemon's fault. Okay, that's not a good excuse. Like, that's not a good excuse for something stupid. And I don't know if this is technically, like, the writer's fault, because, like, did they write that there were weird trails of, of stuff? Like, I'm not going to blame the writers, because I'll blame the, the director in the special effects department. But, like, I just didn't get it. Like, and it, But it, like, not only does it, is it color-coded, but it's not consistently color-coded. It's color-coded to whatever they're wearing. Which is stupid. 
so Morbius has super strength because he is escaping from the prison, right? He's got super speed because he's going from one place to the other, you know, from one building to the other across the street, which is not just like a narrow alley. It's a full blown main street in New York, I guess. And so he gets over there. So he's got super speed. He's got super strength and he's got the ability to fly and he's got this super echo location. So he's got all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, Tom Holland is just gonna, he's, he'd last like 30 seconds. And Tom Holland's supposed to be able to take this guy. Tom Holland is Spider-Man, by the way. Yeah. Supposed to be able to take this guy. It's not happening. It's just, no, the villain is too super strong. Yeah. And they didn't want to go whether they didn't want to commit to him being either villainous or being a good boy. He doesn't care that he killed all those dudes. As a matter of fact, he says, oh, uh, Milo, he's talking about Milo. Milo's killed all those people. You've killed people, too. He literally killed an entire boat. Oh, no. Oh, but but here's the thing. Everyone justifies it, including the cops, that that boat crew is just a bunch of hired thugs. But, oh, no, you killed a single mom of 25 or whatever. And now you're bad because you killed this nurse who was a single mom. But that boat full of people, F them, you know, they were hired guns. Who are you? It's like even the cops. Okay, the cops are valuing one life over another is one thing. But the entire movie was like, oh, this life. And even with uh, Milo, okay, you insulted me. So now your life is nothing. And now all this judgment of who needs to live and die was just throughout the whole thing. And can we talk about Milo? So the first (laughs) thing about that we see about, oh, this is a bad person is he gets in a fight with a bunch of bullies who are literally bullying people from a children's hospital. Yeah. I don't care if they're like five hit those. Okay. I shouldn't say that fight back though is fine. I, I always say like, you know, Oh, you, think i'm weak because i have a cane but that thing gives me like an extra three feet on you yeah and then later on it's the whole he's like oh no i can't live like this when he's in a constant very high amount of pain gee somebody not wanting to be in pain constantly is the bad guy i say as i am wearing a neck brace because And I have a painkiller patch because otherwise I am in like an eight or nine out of 10 pain every moment of the day. Yeah, that's not a bad guy. And then, of course, he freaks out when his friend is like, no, I made this. But no, I've decided that you can't use it. Just make him sign a waiver. Collaborate on like, okay, here's what I did wrong. And here's how we're going to work together to prevent this. Yeah, without talking to Milo at all. Like, that's part of the problem is that he just doesn't explain anything. Like, again, there's nothing in this movie is explained when it needs to be. But, like, I loved Milo as, like, as a villain concept. The idea of him is really interesting. I think he's really cool. I think the scene early on, you know, where he gets, like, bullied is like, okay, cool. So he's going to have, like, a little chip on his shoulder, you know, because he was really in bad shape when he was younger. You know, like, he grew up with this terrible affliction, you know, but he's still this kind of, like, you know, like 
somewhat of like a rich playboy sort of thing, you know, and, and again, we don't know why he's rich. What was the purpose of the scene in the bar where he's getting bullied there? What is the purpose of that? To give him a reason to attack people? That is yeah. it exactly. And the thing is, he is defending a woman from, okay, Michelle, Suzanne, am I alone in reading that they wanted to buy drinks for this woman? First of all, because, you know, oh, if she's drunk, you know, they say yes easier, but also maybe potentially wanting to drug her. I don't know. That scene was wild to me. I read that scene as she was with them. I don't think so. Oh, she was like rolling her eyes. But it didn't, it, that, that scene was a jumble of mess. Like it really wasn't clear what was going on. Other than like, he tried to hit on this girl. Like, cause he tried, like Milo tried to hit on her, I guess. And then he got upset that somebody else tried to hit on her. It was a very strange scene. So this is what the problem I had with it. We're going to make a few assumptions here. Number one we're going to assume that the girl is with that other group of guys and everybody's cool there and there's absolutely no problems, which, you know, make however big of an assumption that needs to be for you. That's fine. Milo goes, he buys her a drink. Okay, that's, yeah, that, that's kind of creepy, maybe. But the guy comes over, hey, you're messing with this girl that is with us, whether true or not, whatever. And Milo says, all right, cool bartender let me get around for them i mean to me that just seems like okay i'm sorry i won't mess with this person that you're with and here's an apology drink and everybody walks away happy except he gets punched in the face this was like yeah. one of the the scenes where i was okay with the writing there because when he's flirting with this girl who's flirting back they're talking about like oh tequila to remember whiskey to forget when the guy's like hey her drinks are paid for already from over here, she rolls her eyes, so I don't think she's with them. And then he's like, okay, order them a round of whiskey, which is a really nice, subtle dig at them. Again, I actually really liked that just exchange of dialogue. But then, yeah, okay, and after he left the bar, I feel like there was a scene where he overheard them talking. It was I don't remember what they were saying, but that was what triggered him to attack them. I think he was going to attack him no matter what. I think he was going to attack him no matter yeah. what, yeah. I think he, like, waited until they left and then just went after him. But, like, there was no build-up to that. Like, that scene just ended with him not attacking them. Like, I would have said, like, okay, buddy, let's go take this outside or whatever. And you could have shown that he was kind of, like, interested and he, was got, he wanted to attack them. You know? But it just shows that he attacked them later. It's an odd scene. I liked that little aspect of it with, like, with the whiskey to whatever. I think that's kind of funny, but it, I don't know. It's a weird scene. <laughs> the cast overall was really A-list. You're talking Jared Leto, Matt Smith, Jared Harris, Tyrese Gibson. These are all A-listers, whether, yeah. I mean, you could debate individuals or not, but this is an A-list cast. They have talent going into this. The individual scenes were acted well. If I was to place blame on anybody, I'd probably go to the production house, perhaps the writers, not, maybe not even the director. I mean, maybe the director doesn't get enough takes so that you could edit it better in post, but maybe it's the editing team that really failed on this movie. 
I'd say the writers and the editors, because I think, like, I agree with you that, that the movie was pretty well acted. As much as I am not a fan of Jared Leto as a human, I thought he did a good job. I thought he did fine. I thought his character was very hamstrung by the, by the writing. Like, every character was pretty hamstrung by the writing. But, like, I think for what he needed to do, I thought the director got good performances out of everyone. It was just that the writing was so weird and disjointed that it just made the whole movie feel weird and disjointed, even if everyone had pretty good performances. I didn't think anyone did a bad job. I think the director did a good job. I think it's in the writing and or the editing, because you never know how these things get chopped up, you know. Maybe there was scenes that explained what happened. I don't know. I think this movie was sort of cursed from the onset when they said, hey, we're hiring Jared Leto for the scene. Okay. We have to talk about Jared Leto. First of all, there's the whole thing of, oh, he's a method actor, which means that he was like decided to stay in character limping around the whole movie. But it took like 45 minutes for him to go to the bathroom because he was like moving as torturously as possible. So they had to compromise him and stick him in a wheelchair. Okay, first of all, as somebody who is actually disabled and does occasionally have problems walking, that's not the way. And then... Okay, first of all, he turned his band into a cult. Look it up. 30 Seconds to Mars is the band. They are a self-admitted, like, they have actually went out and stated on Twitter, yes, we are a cult. Okay, that's not what I knew. Oh, and then there's the fact that he's a sex pest. This has been known for a long time. A few years ago, I guess around, like, 2018 or so, Dylan Sprouse, the kid from, like, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, just all of those things, made a tweet about Jared Leto sliding into every young girl from the age of like 18 through 25's mentions. And James Gunn, in a now-deleted tweet, said, oh, on the internet, he actually starts at 18? Okay, that's not great. No, it has been a really open secret this guy is a sex pest. And having him be the hero in your movie is already poisoning it. Like, there's going to be a lot of people who just won't go see it because of that. And then, again, the fact that he's incredibly difficult to work with and that the writing for this movie, I would love to see what the original script looked like. Yeah, I'd be curious. Before all of the editing and deleting scenes and everything like that, because it feels like somebody took a weed whacker to it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the reason this movie frustrates me so much is it's almost a good movie. Like, it has all the elements of being a good movie. It's just missing pieces and missing pieces that wouldn't take very much to put in. Like, we don't need very much. Like, like I said, we are comic book movie fans. We don't need that much explanation for how things work. You know, like we can accept that there's a freaking magic portal that goes from Earth to Asgard or whatever. And it works with a sword. We don't need that much information. It's not that complicated. It's a comic book movie, okay? But, like, the fact that there's so much that's unexplained, when they could have just taken a scene or two, really, and just explained something very simply, especially if they're gonna go and make this such a science, in quotation marks, heavy movie, if they're gonna go that route, you know, like, we need to actually know what's going on here. Or at least we need to know a, a vaguely rational explanation for what's going on here. 
But there are a lot of elements of the story that are very good. The basic premise of the story, the basic structure of the story is not bad. Like, I can see, I'm not going to say these writers are, like, fully incompetent. I don't know where the problem happened. Because I don't want to blame the writers and I don't want to blame the editors. But I don't know who is to blame. Because, like I said, I think the director did a, a good enough job with what he had. The studio. I'm sure the director did not have Final Cut. Yeah. I'm sure the studio did. And for some reason, someone went, yeah, this is okay enough to release in theaters. I don't, yeah, I think there's something about the script. It's like Matt Smith understood what he was in, but Jared Leto wanted it to be serious. It's like he was in another movie. When you want Nicolas Cage energy, you get Nicolas Cage. I don't know if any of you has seen. <laughs> <That's been great. laughs> it's called Vampire's Kiss, I believe. Yes. yes. That is what we needed Morbius to be. That's the type of performance this movie, because can you imagine someone channeling that, whether it was Nicolas Cage or someone who understood that, going up against the delicious Matt Smith, who yeah. like, I think we could all agree, the hero of the movie. I would love to have him match him in like intensity, you oh, know? God, yes. That would be amazing. Because Morbius just spent the whole movie pretending he was Batman. And then you've got Matt Smith in here who realizes that he's a silly comic book hero or a silly comic book villain and is just hamming it up the entire movie and clearly having a blast. Like, he's the only one in the movie that I watched and it looked like he's having a good time, isn't he? So I checked the IMDb. The film editing was by Pietro Scalia, who I was like, okay, what has this guy done? Get this. JFK, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down. Robin Hood, Prometheus, The Amazing Spider-Man, The Martian, 13 Hours, and The Gray Man. Well, damn, what went wrong here? Okay, it's not the, studio. It's not the editor, guys. It's not the editor. I'm going it's back the to studio. the studio or the writers. Goodwill Hunting. He edited Goodwill Hunting. I mean, wow. Yeah. There's only one explanation here. Yeah, I'm sure he was sitting there, you know, having... With all that experience, having this footage, because this, because you know, we know there's a um, a script supervisor on there writing notes with takes and everything that goes also to the editor. The editor does a rough cut with like you know from these notes from the director notes and and such, and then there's that first rough cut. I bet that the editor was like, okay, digging through the barrel. Here's a moment of good. Digging through the barrel. Here's another moment. Good presenting the best, and for yeah. some reason, someone going no. And part of it is I wonder because Jared Leto, the whole Oscar thing, right? I've got an Oscar now, so now look at me. I wonder if part of it was that Matt Smith and everybody else outacted Jared Leto, and so they had to pick the ones where Jared Leto didn't seem to be because he's supposed to be the star of the movie and let's face it matt smith still did outdo him but i wonder if there's a bunch of scenes where matt smith was like at the moon and jared leto was at the bottom of the grand canyon and they had to bring those two closer together or at least they thought i mean take a look at we've said it before the infinity war and endgame one could say that Thanos was a very strong character in those two movies, right? He's the protagonist of the movie. Mm -hmm. At least of Infinity War. Right. Needed to be to take on 
the Avengers. And that worked fine. So you can do that. Matter of fact, if you have a strong villain and it is overtaken by a weaker hero, then that just makes the hero bigger in the next Mm -hmm. movie, which obviously they had planned on. It's not so much like the hero. I'm talking about acting. I'm talking about the acting. I'm thinking that Matt Smith outacted Jared Leto a lot more. I'm not talking about like the hero villain thing. I'm talking about just acting. Right. Well, let's talk about the 27 endings that we got with this movie. Oh, stupid. Oh, it's so annoying. How can we outdo the return of the king? I felt like someone was like, we need to do that. Some movie needs to outdo the return of the king. And for those of you who haven't seen Return of the King, there are a lot of things online that if you don't want to watch the whole thing that go about, there's at least five different endings that go on. It's like, okay, the movie's going to end here. Why are, why are we seeing, why are we now bowing to the hobbits? Why are we now at the boat dock? Why is now Sam? Why do we want, why are we following Sam? It's yeah, this is uh, 47 Return endings. Return of the King earned it. <laughs> True. This did not earn it this at all. Earn it. Okay. First up, I need to discuss. Nothing was resolved, like nothing, other than the fact that that he killed Milo. Nothing was resolved. He still has this problem, and we don't know. It like did he fix it? Like it was like counting down throughout the movie to like when he was going to need to drink like people blood, and it went through like this whole movie, and you're all like building to something, and all it built to was killing Milo. Which was like, fine, you've got your villain, you gotta kill your villain. I'm fine with that, I don't care that he killed Milo. I think that was a good choice. I didn't think the final fight was horrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. I've seen worse. But, like, why are we just not resolving any of the main points of the movie? Because the main point of the movie wasn't about Milo. It was about Morbius dealing with his new found like blood addiction basically and getting progressively worse and worse and having less time between his needs to feed and then we end the movie with him killing milo like that's an accomplishment that solves his other problem and then we just see him driving off somewhere did he just decide to eat people like we don't know anything and it's so frustrating because i was like i finished the movie i was like wait a second like we didn't resolve the main point of, like, the main problem of the movie was Morbius devolving over time, and we're not going to address that at all? What? <laughs> I had the whole thing about Michael Keaton coming in, right? So Michael Keaton comes in, he's in the... Don't ruin Michael Keaton for me. ...prison, and I really enjoy Michael Keaton, but... Okay, and I know he was in Spider-Man, and I know that they're trying to transfer the villain back over their own stuff. Okay, I I get all that. But he comes in, and then he's just let out. Why? Is he a person in this universe or not? And then, later, we see him with the vulture suit. Where did he get the vulture suit? There's no Tony Stark in this world. There's none of that stuff exists in this world. It's very clear. Like, superheroes don't exist. The only, the only... Like the, that was the other my other problem with all the science in this is they wanted to go like full science or whatever. There's no superheroes in this world other than Venom. It's the only one we know about, and he's an alien. Nope. Venom is an nope, alien. Nope, 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 nope. They have had Spider Man. If you see in the paper, it says it's been like fifty something days since there was the last Spider Man sighting. 
Okay, that was a small detail I did not notice. So fun fact, J.K. Simmons filmed scenes as J. Jonah Jameson, but then for some reason cut them all. Okay, that was a very small detail. I did not notice that. But the point is, like, the ones we've seen in this universe, because we have to take this as its own universe, right? Like, we can't connect to this Marvel universe because it do- it's not, doesn't really connect, right? Except for this, this random thing. Like, the only thing we have seen in terms of actual, like, on-screen superheroics is Venom, which is an alien. So we can accept Venom. It's very easy to accept Venom going, oh, he's an alien, whatever. How we can accept how that works, because it's it's magic, right? So we don't care. But, like, the only thing... So they went hardcore into, like, the science this time. Where did Vulture get his suit? Because there's no Tony Stark. There's no indication of anything like Tony Stark in this universe. And, like, I think we know straight up there's not a Tony Stark. You know, like, they would have mentioned something like that before, shown, like, a little Stark Tower or whatever. Just any little thing to tell us that this exists in this universe. But I don't think it does. Mostly because I don't think um, Robert Downey Jr. wants to come back and play Tony Stark anymore. But, like, there's no indication that this exists. So where did he get it? Because didn't... Remind me if I'm wrong. I may be wrong, but like Vulture got his stuff directly from like Tony Stark's work, right? No, it it was from the Battle of Tuchari in the Battle of New York. He was cleaning up with damage control, right? Yeah. And and well, damage control came in and took all his stuff. So then they started thieving and he had a engineer guy. I won't even say a science guy, but he had an yeah. engineer guy that cobbled together everything together, including okay. the suit. So that's where his suit so came he, from. Uh, so, so he had a guy, right? Okay, he so he doesn't guy. have a guy here. He doesn't exist here. They let him out of jail because he's not a criminal here. He doesn't exist here. Right? Which That's the one thing I think that makes perfect sense at the end here is he has no reason to be in jail. Why I think it makes him? sense that they let him out of jail. I, like He wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. Like I think it's fine that they let him out of jail. I don't know where he got the suit. I don't understand where he would have gotten the suit because there's no Chitari here. We have seen no indication of that. So, like, you know, the, like I said, the only thing we see is aliens. That's, that's it. That's all we got for this universe. If they wanted to show us something that would explain where he got the suit or just a small scene, again, this is a small scene, show a news broadcast of some robotics lab getting, uh, or some, like, mechanical lab getting uh, a robbery. That's all you need. All you need is some little thing to tell us where on earth he got this stupid suit. Because otherwise, it's, it's us, the viewing audience, sitting there at the end of the movie going, what? What? Where did you didn't, you weren't, you didn't come here with it. You were in jail. And how did they contact each other? How did he? Yeah, why do these two people know each other? Were they on Twitter? Like, did they slip into each other's DMs? They just show up for this meeting at the end. Yeah, and how long has it been? I choose to believe they met on Grinder. <laughs> I love how Mar- Morbius has this Casio watch from the 1980s too, right? Yeah. So he's got a modern car. We've seen all sorts of modern science stuff, and then he's got this Casio watch from the 1980s. All right. That's funny. Also, Martine. So Morbius is able to hear her heartbeat from all the way across the city and she dies and then <sighs> she wakes up again and he presumably know. her heart's beating and he doesn't hear her he doesn't have any knowledge that she's alive is she somehow a traditional vampire that is dead because that's not clear 
All right, let's talk about traditional vampires because Chris has a special note about that. Chris? How well do the vampires here play with the vampires in the rest of the Marvel Universe that's tangentially related? And couldn't they have just called Blade in to solve this entire problem? Hey, Morbius <laughs> is a vampire. Let's call Blade because it's not like that movie is going to come out anytime soon from the looks of it. Get him in this way. And okay, if Martine is a traditional vampire. I don't know if traditional vampires have hearts that beat that he would be able to hear. So if she comes back and she doesn't have a beating heart, okay, that makes sense that he can't tell. Why would she want to turn into a vampire instead of just being dead and not having to be a vampire? To stay alive. I gotta be honest. I didn't realize she bit him. I didn't realize... Like, that was what happened? Yeah. That's what it looked like because... She bit him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, yep. Okay. His lip all of a sudden bled and falls on her mouth. And she makes a movement to where she, like, licks it or something to swallow it. Because drinking a drop of someone else's vampiric-ish blood is going to turn you into a vampire. Why would she think that? Hey, five drops of, you know, Bruce Banner's. Mm -hmm. I would have liked it more if he had, like, grabbed her and tried to, like, take her back and, like, inject her with something. And then thought it didn't work, and then we get the surprise at the end that it did. Like and it the mouse! was on a delay. If we had gotten a callback to that damn mouse! Yeah, where is the Legion of Vampire Mice? I want a movie about the Legion of Vampire yeah, Mice. Right? I mean, two votes. How could he have not like the way testing works, yes, you go to mice, but then you're supposed to go to another type of animal, and then you're supposed to test on primates before yeah, you move to like humans. Mm -hmm. So how? Oh, this is a, a mouse did it, but how? Like, wouldn't you have noticed superhuman strength mice who could teleport? Why all of a sudden, when it's in a human, it does this, but it's not. In the mouse, but from the mouse, you should have gone to the chimpanzee, and then we would have had Morbius, chimpanzee Morbius, or something. Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. No, the world does not need that. I got <laughs> it. Rats of Nim reboot in this universe, and instead of just being super smart, they also have like teleportation and stuff. I don't want to ruin the Rats of Nim more than the second movie already did. Well, also, since I know this is Sony, but since Marvel is owned by Disney now, they could do a crossover with the rescuers. Or Great Mouse Detective. Mm-hmm. No. I don't want it. <laughs> All right. We've had a lot of fun ragging on Morbius right now. Let's go around the horn with last thoughts. Michelle, we'll start with you. Look, if someone says you have to watch Morbius for some reason just take a nap until Matt Smith is on there because again Matt Smith I, in my show notes I actually just have Matt Smith period and the whole I one of the things I kind of liked is like they did the whole Sparta thing the few against the many and he, he he did like this leap at the end when he has the thing which I believe is like a call back to an actual like shot from the 300 movie it makes it made me think about that but hey you know let's take this cool moment and then morbius swirling the 
bats together to do a Hadouken to force him back. Okay, whatever. That's, I just, yeah, watch this 1.5 speed or knowing that Matt Smith is just delicious if somebody says we have to watch this. First off, Michelle, don't you dare make me want somebody to make the Morbius fighting game. <laughs> Everybody in here was just so beeping stupid in everything. Morbius and Martine going through. You have his secret lab directly through the wall from a patient's room and nobody ever notices. He half-heartedly says, oh no, don't look in the secret bat room, and then doesn't turn it off. They don't turn it off when they leave. You have the one cop just randomly saying that the bodies were exsanguinated and just hoping that the audience is smart enough to figure out that that means they were drained of their blood. And I feel like that is just a reflection of the people who decided that this was a good movie to put out. Uh, watch it with friends. Just, again, it's a fun movie to rip apart when you're with other people. But watching it myself, I was just so distracted by how wrong and terrible every single decision made was. In the movie and production-wise, like, I know a lot of people talk about how ugly the lighting in Marvel movies looks. This is the first time I've been like, wow, this lighting is terrible. Just, <sighs> if you would like to know more about bats or genetic engineering, yeah, just ask me. I will talk about it at length. This was, this, this could have been a good movie. That's my main takeaway is I went in this movie thinking, ah, I'll give it a try. You know, this could have been a good movie. It didn't, it would not have taken much to make this a good movie. And it's so frustrating as a screenwriter. Yeah. Welcome. We hope you've enjoyed the second version of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mystery Science Theater 3000 version. The first one, of course, was our episode 40. So 410 episodes ago, we did Howard the Duck. This is the second <laughs> one. We've hope you've enjoyed this. And yeah, I'm glad that I had you guys to talk to about it. And I'm glad we had this podcast to talk about it. Otherwise, I would not have been satisfied whatsoever. I would like to say that I paid zero dollars to watch this movie, but I do pay a portion to Netflix. And that's where we all streamed it, I'm assuming, from Netflix. And so, yeah, Netflix got a little bit of my change for this. I have a Netflix subscription. So, yeah, a little bit of it went there. So, yeah, I did pay a little bit for it. I don't know how much, but I paid a little bit for it. Anyway, next time we're going to get together and we're going to talk about X-Men, the animated series season four. We're going to continue our X-Men 92 watch episodes eight through 10 as shown on Disney plus. We have to say as shown on Disney plus because there's about 10 different chronologic ways to watch this right now, but that's where we're at. Episodes eight through 10 season four. Meantime, we have some interesting news stories to talk about. Susanna is going to Stay with us because she likes talking about general Marvel stuff. I do. First up, we have news about the Russo brothers and the question of will they return to Marvel? Well, Joe Russo, who shares half of the iconic building with 
Brother Anthony delivered a clear answer to the question that has been persistently directed at him ever since the runaway success of 2019's Avengers Endgame. That question, of course, asks if the brothers are returning to the MCU to tackle the consequential mega movies currently in the pipeline. Unfortunately for their fans, the answer, as delivered to Variety, leaves little ambiguity. Quote, we're always talking. We'd need to see what would work. We won't be ready to do anything with Marvel until the end of the decade. End quote. Additionally, the trade qualifies the comment reportedly made in early October with the idea that the duo have known this truth for years. So I took a look at this and I was remembering, remember the whole thing about Black Widow and the fact that they were shortchanging Scarlett Johansson with money and everything. The Russo brothers were adamant that they would not sign anything with Marvel until the whole rights issue had fallen out. So I think they made an early decision back then and, and probably for a while that they were not going to come back to the MCU until Disney, Marvel Studios, and the general industry as a whole were going to figure out what streaming rights would be to pay out. And even though they have other things in the work, when you're talking about the movie of the quality and the magnitude that would go into a capstone Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, you're talking a lot of money. And they want to make sure that there is no ambiguity in terms of the money that's paid out. So there's that. And also they get their creative juices for other things as well. They started out with community. They went to winter soldier and they took some of the biggest Marvel biggest movies ever, I think in the world in history on, and they did it successfully. So they need to recap the creative juices. I could see that as well. And also the Russo brothers, I don't know if they are entirely cool with the, there's one Marvel movie that hasn't been given to a production team yet. And it's the Avengers secret wars. And everybody's saying the Russo brothers are slated for secret wars. I don't know if this is something that they're comfortable with or not. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it makes sense. I always call, I don't know what phase we're on. I have no idea. I call it book one and I feel like the Russo's are, you know, we wrote book one, we're done. Give it to someone else. As a writer, you know, like you get bored with stuff, like even stuff you really enjoy, you know, like you kind of just want to move on and, and do something else. There's a reason that a lot of writers have like multiple series that they work on just because like you're going to get bored. If you're a director, you know, like you might get kind of bored and want to go do something else. Like it, it's hard when you're doing these like really big projects. To like say, no, I'd like to go do something else that won't pay me quite so much money, you know? And, but at the same time, you know, like you don't want to like burn the bridge, but maybe you don't want to be like held down, strapped to the train tracks on the bridge. And also, I don't know if they are gunning to take over Kevin Feige's slot. An heir apparent is not out there. Kevin has made moves that he wants to move on to something else or retire at some point. Who's going to be the heir apparent right now? It's no, I would have said at one point, James Gunn, but that's not going to happen anymore with him moving over to DC with Warner Brothers Discovery. So I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, Lauren, let's talk about our favorite claw creature. All right. So, at the red carpet 
for his most recent movie, The Sun, Hugh Jackman talked with AP and about they brought up Wolverine and Deadpool 3. While short on details, he did describe the demeanor his signature character will have in the upcoming threequel. There's no choice. He's definitely the angrier, acerbic, grumpy, and he's going to take a lot of free shots at Ryan Reynolds. Physically, that is, said Jackman. And of course, Wolverine's mood will be a crucial element to the film since it will seemingly center on the interplay between Jackson's perpetually irate X-Man and Reynolds's loquaciously sarcastic mutant assassin. But he still said in regarding to his upcoming grumpy performance as Wolverine, I'm going to have the time of my life. I wonder if we're going to get Cable again for a cameo scene. I hope so. That's be yeah. great. Especially since he also played Thanos. I want yeah. them to have a duet or some sort of dance scene to the song. I've had the time of my life from Dirty Dancing. Yes. <laughs> uh, that'd be great. Writers, Ryan Reynolds, you can have that one for free. Because it's something I want to see. I mean, we covered Logan and... We all agreed that that was a fitting end to Hugh Jackman. I think the only reason to have Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine is specifically to have scenes like that with uh, Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. I don't think it's going to like mess with how Logan ended. Logan is is such a thing. It it, it almost seems like it, it seems like a big time skip anyway. So like if they just go back and tell like any particular kind of story, you know, like I think. If you're going to do it, do it for Deadpool. You know, like Wolverine and Deadpool's relationship is so much fun. So I think I think it's a great I'm, I'm excited to see him again. Yeah. All right, Chris, you've been waiting to talk about this since it came out. And I think you're bursting at the seams. So what's going on over on Disney Plus? I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. We just have another actor assigned, named, whatever you want to call it, to be in Agatha Coven of Chaos. Just somebody you might know from a few little things. We have Aubrey Plaza. We don't know who she's going to be. I'm so excited. We don't know if this is going to have any kind of Legion connected connection at all. We don't know if it's not, but we're going to sit there waiting for it. She could be Mephisto, for all I know, because who knows anything about Mephisto anymore at all? And yeah, Aubrey Plaza in anything is amazing. So, while this news broke, I was watching wrestling, and I, so I was only kind of half paying attention, and I thought that my spouse said that Aubrey Edwards was going to be in, in it, and I was like, the referee? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Although I would be okay with that too. I like Aubrey. Aubrey Plaza is an amazing actor and we've covered her already on this show over on Legion and she did amazing in that role. I can imagine her being in the coven. She would that just fits her greatly. But also, I think her gravitas now is a level up. So Chris, you might not be that far off. She may very well might be Mephisto. It would be interesting. I'm just excited to see her in this. I'm excited to see her in anything. And oh, I was already excited for Coven of Chaos. This is just making it even better for me. We do have a couple of other stories that I wanted to note minorly right now. First of all, the 
producer of Eternals in a interview said that the MCU isn't done with the Eternals yet. We kind of knew that already, just the way it all ended, but because it wasn't well received, we weren't sure, but basically said that they are coming back. Okay. Well, we'd see it when we see it. Right. And the other thing is the black Panther Wakanda forever, which is coming out next week, by the way, we'll cover it in a couple weeks here on legends of shield, but the producer, Nate Moore basically was saying that Wakanda forever is going to lead directly into iron heart. There's a lot of talk about the origins of iron heart. It's going to be a little bit different than the comics, but it's going to come from Wakanda forever. I'm all for it. I'm really for the Ironheart character. And there's not going to be that direct link to Tony Stark. We actually talked about Tony Stark in Morbius and how there was no Tony Stark in this universe. There's not going to be that direct connection in the MCU between Tony Stark and Ironheart. In the comics, there is some interaction between the two. We're not going to get that in the comics. So they had to come up with some other origin story. We all kind of knew that. I've been really looking forward to this Ironheart series for quite some time. So we're going to see her initially in Wakanda forever. Cool. Any other comments on that? I'm so stoked for Black Panther. I'm super curious how they're going to handle the trade-off to Shuri. You know? I don't even know if they are going to trade off to Shuri. We'll see. I think we've seen her in the costume. In some we've of the... seen a woman in the costume. We've seen some... Yeah, that's true. We've seen someone in There's the costume. There's two others that it could be. It could totally be one of the other. Yeah, that's true. I'd kind of like it to be Shuri. I really like Shuri, but if it's not, that's fine too. But I'm, I'm just curious how they're going to handle the trade off, you know? Because obviously no one expected this to happen. Yeah, first of all, the movie is going to be an homage, absolutely. But second of all, there's a lot of mystery with the movie, which is very intriguing for everybody. Yeah. Like I said, we will talk about it, but it's going to be a couple weeks after it comes out. So we will try not to spoil anything as it comes out, but we're all excited to see it. All right, Michelle, what should we do now? I think we should windsurf with the bats on our way out. Susanna, it was a treat having a trained screenwriter and a trained person come in and tell us everything that was wrong with Morbius. We really appreciate you joining us here on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thanks for having me. And also, if somebody likes your genius of storytelling, where can they find you? Genius. Yeah, so I am the keeper of the Monster of the Week podcast, Thornvale. It is a show about Three monster hunters who are struggling to protect a small island town off the coast of Florida from horrible monsters and other varieties of traumas uh, that, that shall befall them. Uh, you can find it anywhere. Search Thornvale. It's T-H-O-R-N-V-A-L-E. Just search it anywhere. You'll find it. It's on all the podcatchers and whatnot. And I'm also, my new book should be coming out sometime next year. I'm shooting for July-ish. The first one is called Deep Hollow. You can search that and search Susanna Eileen Lewis, and you should be able to find it. My middle name is spelled with an A, because of course it is. Um, but yeah, so if you want to find me, do that. You can also find, like, on thornbellpodcast.com, it has support us page or whatever, and you can find my book on there, too. That's probably the easiest way to find it if you're interested in uh, reading my book. It doesn't have anything, you don't have to read the book to listen to the podcast, and you don't have to listen to the podcast to read the book. It's just more fun. It's also 
notable that you have created, you and your crew have created this community around not only Thornvale, but other role-playing podcasts in a yeah. Discord server called The Actual Place, spelled P-L-A-Y-C-E. Yeah, I thought I was funny. Yeah, we actually, we were on a different server for a while, and we decided that we would like to have more control over our sort of how we, we do stuff, and we wanted to create an actual place, specific place for us, and that's for, like, actual play podcasts. It's a, a tabletop RPG-based podcast, basically. But we invite all sorts of people, if you're interested in that sort of thing. We have a bunch of shows on there already that are awesome, and lots of our, our good podcasting buddies are on there, and we're trying to recruit more all the time, but uh, we have, I think, close to 100 members now, and we're still growing. We just started out, so uh, looking forward to get more getting more people in there and we've got lots of awesome channels for like talking about tabletop rpgs and memes and show us your pet pics you know and we've got a bunch of channels for like tabletop rpgs specifically so just talking about different systems if you just want to come in and talk about D or monster of the week or any other type of stuff you can come in hang out with us and maybe find some new shows to listen to we're a really like welcoming community and we love to have people come in and and we'll say like, oh, yeah, you're interested in that. We got this show, this show, this show. You know, like we're not just stump on our own. We want to help build the community out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who listens and consumes our content. If you want to hear more from me, I am on Twitter at shell underscore game. Thank you to anybody who was witness to me trying to live tweet this yesterday. Yeah, I'd like to get back to doing live tweets of stuff as the shows come out and everything. Yeah, you can find me at Sithwitch or my professional website, lwselinas.com. To anybody who lasted all the way through the Morbius movie, thank you for having a very high constitution score. And to whichever one of the wonderful Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. people were having fun with me on Thursday as I was letting the world know that I was going to be watching this. Oh, wait, that was me, so thank you to me. <laughs> and if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to playcomics.com, where there's a few episodes that are coming out. You should check them out. I don't know what they are yet, but I'll know by the time I go to sleep. I'm very pleased to announce Better Podcasting has returned the main show. Steven and I recorded our first episode back last week. Go ahead and listen to it. We detail how we're going to handle better podcasting going further. Spoiler, it is going to change a little bit, but we are still going to be talking about hobby podcasting and how you can make your podcast better. So if you're interested in checking that out, that is betterpodcasting.com. Well, that is it for this week. Until next time, I am Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. Consultant Susanna. Bye. 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 Go watch something good. Yeah. Don't cut your palm. Stop doing that. Very bad. Stop. Very bad. Please. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. 
The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. So, um, Michelle, 1.5 speed? Yes. 2.1 speed. Really? <laughs> nice. I watched it at regular speed. <laughs> I watched it in the theater, so. And I haven't seen it since. I just kept all of this anger inside of it. <laughs> yeah, had to let it out. <laughs> I was very happy to, to be, have someone else on here who was just like, the science is wrong. Oh, that's a big one. Oh. has been a big one on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. So Lauren used to work in a bio lab. I'm a rocket scientist. We had a professional engineer on the show for quite some time, Haley. So yeah, we've been digging on science for a while. Oh, and oh, Michelle actually teaches biology. Ah, cool. Yeah. So even I'm just like, there's so many conceits that I can handle. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.